This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. From MPB Think Radio, this is Deep South Dining, the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. I'm Java Chapman, and today is a special edition of Deep South Dining. As Malcolm White and Carol Puckett recently sat down with the floral butcher, Chef David Rains. From his father's farm in Louisiana, Chef David Rains has brought Wagyu beef to central Mississippi in a major way. From his butcher shop located right on Main Street, Flora, and his casual dining restaurant, Dave Triple B's, in downtown Jackson, Chef Rains brings his world travels and southern roots to Deep South Dining to talk with Malcolm and Carol. We're not taking your calls today, but you can always reach us by email. The address is food at mpbonline.org. This is Deep South Dining, right here on MPB Think Radio. I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast, AutoCorrect. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org. You're listening to a special edition of Deep South Dining, a conversation with Chef David Rains. Known as the Flora Butcher, and uh, I I guess that's uh, what most people know you by. And if you'll tell us a little bit about that moniker, how you came to to be known as the Flora Butcher and what, what goes on at your business, the Flora Butcher? Yes, some people don't even know your name is David Rains. They say, oh, you know, the Flora Butcher. I get that a lot. I'll be at a gas station and I'll be like, oh, the Flora Butcher. Hey, how you doing? You know. It's like uh, Madonna or Cher. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Elvis. Yeah. I, um, uh, well, we, we opened the shop in Flora, and at the time, there wasn't much in Flora. Uh, most of the businesses were closed, and um, they had a few things that were still there on Main Street. Um, but it was just a really great little town, and I wanted to promote the town and not just, you know, my my shop. So I, I named the shop after the town so that, uh, for one thing, they'd know where it was. they have to go to Flora to find the Flora Butcher, but um, it was such a unique shop to put in there i just thought it it needed something kind of special and i thought naming it after the town would be the best thing i had the good fortune to uh drive around the town the other day and was so surprised to see the main street is almost full i mean just even as opposed to three or four years years ago there was almost a store in every building yes Uh, when i got there uh the restaurant on the uh, the uh, corner was closed. I mean, pretty much everything was closed except for the bank, um, a local farmer's office, uh, a farm bureau office. Uh, just not too much there. And then uh, after we opened and we were there for about six months, um, it just seemed like everybody sort of started looking at Flora again. And all of a sudden, um, all the other buildings just filled in, and now they're uh, planning to expand Main Street to go uh, where there's some empty lots. Uh, they're going to build new buildings that look like the old town uh, just to make uh, Main Street longer and have more opportunity because there's a lot of people that want to be there now. So, Yeah, I, I think Flora was so lucky that the bones of it stayed. In so many small towns, they tear down Yes. buildings here and there and the structures were actually in place so you had a, a beautiful street a beautiful presentation already all it needed was some life and some fix up it does and uh, just a little love goes a long way because it is i mean flora looks just like the old black and white pictures i mean it's all the old buildings are all still there uh, the building i'm in burned at some point but um that's why it doesn't have a second floor even though it looks like it should have one um, but we don't care about that because w- most of our building is a cold room, um, so the ceilings are you know 25 feet high. It doesn't matter to us, you know, if they're that <laughs> tall back there, um, because it's you know it's just one less thing to clean when you're in a butcher shop. You know, there's a saying that says poverty is a friend to preservation, and I think a lot of these small towns who have fallen on hard times but kept their bones have the opportunity to be revitalized and for renaissance to take place, much like what you have caused in, in Flora. Yes, uh, Mississippi is, uh, 
I'm not from here originally, but uh, I've noticed that even in Jackson, um, which is not a small town, uh, it's it's beautiful. I mean, there's mm-hmm. the towns uh, in the Delta and, and uh, in Jackson and just in different parts um, that have fallen on hard times. They are just beautiful towns. So and you, you grew up in Monroe, Louisiana, is that right? I did. I'm from Hawaii, and I moved to Monroe when I was seven, and I, I left when I was 18. Uh, to join the military, and um, I haven't really lived there much after that, but I was in and out of New Orleans uh, while I was working overseas. But your family is in Monroe, is that right? My father is still in Monroe. Uh, okay. He's the one who raises Wagyu cattle, and his cattle are around. His farm is in Archibald, <laughs> which is a tiny town mm-hmm. with nothing in it except for maybe cows, and then uh, Oak Grove is our other big herd. So you left Louisiana and went to the military. Where Where'd you go? Uh, I was stationed in Germany. It was during the first Gulf War, and um, I was in supply. So I ended up doing, uh, other than a, a few missions they'd send send you off on when you're in the military, um, I was in uh, running a warehouse and driving 18-wheelers and forklifts and stuff like that. Real exciting. Good. Well, good for you that, that you weren't in, in the thick of it, but... Um, you know, you're you're known around town as the best trained chef in the area. You're a rambling man. And you have lived all over the world. I guess Germany was your first foreign stop. Uh, pretty much, yeah, yeah. Germany. Um, I guess that's where I got the bug to try different things. I love the food in Germany, and I. Um, when I was in college, I ended up going to um, England and Ireland to study. Um, international marketing, and then uh, I'm a history buff, so I have a, a studied uh, in Ireland. I studied um, history and anthropology, um, but then I graduated college and I moved to Taiwan. Uh, I studied Mandarin Chinese and for international trade, but didn't really didn't enjoy international trade at all. <laughs> so uh, I ended up, you know, I got into the restaurant industry, sort of accidentally and then but I always loved to cook and I just decided I was just going to go f- whole hog and go to culinary school and just whole and hog just, and whole cattle yeah whole and beef. just uh, do everything I could and since I didn't start out when I was like 16 in a kitchen I I felt like I needed to push myself as hard as I could so I started working in Michelin star restaurants all over the world just to you know just to increase my skills as fast as I could were your times at the Michelin star restaurants what we call stodges, where you are there for a certain amount of time without pay? Basically, yes. A lot of stagiaire um, opportunities out there. Uh, they're, they're actually starting to dwindle. Uh, governments are starting to, to make it where you can't do it as much as you used to be able to. But um, you'd go to a, a restaurant for six months, and uh, they they give you room and board. You sleep on a cot next to about 10 other guys, you know, who all work with you every day and, you know, you got one bathroom to share and that's just the way it is. It's kind of like being in the army. Kind of. Yeah. It's like, it's a lot like that. Um, so, and you know, you work 18 hours a day and you do it seven days a week and it's just, but you learn, I mean, you have to learn the language. You, you learn all the, uh, every restaurant that does their own thing, especially at the, the Michelin, Michelin level. Uh, they all have very unique, uh, preparations and recipes so you just learn so fast i think italy was a profound experience for you italy was it was something else um that was the one country where nobody spoke english like when i went to uh the amalfi coast and i worked in a michelin star restaurant um he was very famous the first three michelin star restaurant southern italy had ever had but southern italy uh they don't speak english really i mean they do but they don't uh, so all the cooks in there with me didn't speak english so i had to learn to speak italian like really really fast so that was interesting yeah and and so let's try to walk walk us through your sort of international uh experiences germany in the military uh, then off to England and Ireland during school when you were interested in international trade, uh, but then off to to Italy um, and then to France. Uh, it was I guess if we go in order. Um, so I was Taiwan, and then when I started cooking, I went to uh, Denver, 
Colorado. Was that Johnson and Wales? It was Johnson and Wales, yeah. Mm-hmm. A very prestigious yeah, culinary was, academy. So, let's see. So I went to school and I uh, went to Japan afterwards. And I was in Japan for six months. I came back and worked in New Orleans. Well, let, let's stop on Japan for mm-hmm. just a minute because, yeah, you're you're doing the uh, Wagyu beef now. Was that where you made that connection? Um, I mean, in Japan, Wagyu was just everything. Everything was Wagyu. I mean, it, it means Japanese cow. I mean, it's that's all they have. I mean, they, they get other things, but, I mean, all they eat is Wagyu in Japan. To them, it's our Angus? Yes, yeah. very much so. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of a, the first time I really ate it you know, not on a regular basis, but very often. And uh, when I was working in Australia, it was it was evident that Wagyu was going to one day be as prevalent in the United States as it is in Australia. Because in Australia, they have, you know, tons of different kinds of beef. Um, but Wagyu was the only thing that anybody used in a nice restaurant. Any, any nice restaurant you go to was Wagyu only. I mean, they just didn't bother with anything else. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to a special edition of Deep South Dining, a conversation with Chef David Raines, the floral butcher. Well, explain to our our listeners what Wagyu beef is. And I know a lot of people equate it with Kobe beef. Mm -hmm. And I think Kobe is a Wagyu, is that correct? It is. But tell us what the characteristics are. Uh, Wagyu is uh, different in a lot of ways. It's tender. It has a buttery flavor, whereas Angus, to me, almost tastes acidic. Not like in a bad way, but I I mean, it's just, I I recognize the flavor from growing up. But uh, when you eat Wagyu, it just smells and tastes different. It's just a a whole different kind of animal. Um, Originally, Wagyu was a, a heritage breed in Korea crossed with a British Angus, uh, or things like Angus. But over 2,000 years, um, in isolation in Japan and these different provinces, they've kept, you know, I guess inbreeding, I guess is what you would say, and, and they kept enhancing these certain qualities like their tender, tenderness, the marbling, uh, just the flavor. And they just kept combining them over and over and over. And about 500 years ago, it started to be prized as more of a delicacy. Um, and then in the last, I don't know, 100 150 years, it's really become an artisan thing. So Kobe beef is um, very specific. It's a brand. It's like Gucci. Like, you can buy a purse anywhere, but if you buy a Gucci purse, it has to be made by Gucci. And uh, Kobe is the same thing. So it's it has to be in the prefecture where Kobe is the capital. There's only a few people who are allowed to be part of that group. Um, it has to be a virgin female black Tajima a uh, cow over 30 months old has to reach a marbling score of a four or five and has to have a yield grade of an A or a B. Super specific. I mean, it's very um, tightly regulated. Uh, unfortunately, for the name, uh, in the United States, they don't regulate that term. So they called everything Kobe beef when it came really? because it was like a high end. It was the mm-hmm. best you could get. And, um, so everything was called Kobe and Kobe burgers and you know Kobe steaks and but they don't really export Kobe beef much, um, maybe a thousand, maybe two thousand pounds a year, because um, they just consume it all in country. They just they import wagyu into Japan because they don't have enough. So so Kobe is like a French wine almost. It's a single it is vid- just, uh, it's an like area champagne. and it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's stamped. Is it a chrysanthemum? I think it's stamped. Uh, the chrysanthemum is the stamp of that of that beef, but we're probably not seeing much of it here. Not much. Uh, they've gotten, you know, there's a lot of boutique uh, farms like that in Japan. Uh, Kobe doesn't even compete in the Wagyu Olympics, which is something they have every few years. 
um, partially because I guess it's like being the fastest guy on the team. You don't want to race anybody because you don't want to lose. You right. Know? <laughs> so that's kind of like that. So Kobe is not considered the best in the country anymore. Uh, there's a bunch of other small boutique places that do better. And part of their marketing now is to get a nose stamp off the cows and to show that it's that cow that came from Kobe or came from whatever part of Japan and, you know, from that from particular that cow producer. Yeah. So, you know, which cow it is. Well, you were talking about the um, beef marbling standard mm-hmm. or or BMS. Is that a Japanese um, stamp or is beef in the U.S. judged by BMS? We don't judge that here. Uh, the USDA is really the only official judge, and it is, um, you know, it's it's select choice or prime. I mean, they don't really let you... They don't get into marbling? They don't. Once you get beyond prime, which is what Wagyu does, um, you get into... Uh, you, you have to trust the producer, I guess you could say. Like, this is what we consider to be a, a 6. This is what we consider to be a 10. This is a 10 plus. Um, at our butcher shop, we sell it the same price, whether it's a 6 or whether it's a 10 plus. You know, it just it just depends. But uh, because we deal with our own cattle, and we don't try to change the price per the marbling score. But most people sell it... Um, when they sell it, they, they separate it by grade, and they sell it for more if it marbles more, which is, you know, appropriate. <laughs> we just don't do it. In Japan, does the government uh, do the regulating and grading like like we do here in the U.S.? They have a – basically, there's a group of people over there. They're all pretty much on the same page, and, uh, you know, the marbling is, is a very serious thing to them, the grading scale. So right. they, they have people that go in there, and uh, it's pretty much voluntary. The, oh, okay. Just uh, they want to know – is it political? I mean, are people like vying to get a better grade, or is... it's it's hard to do that because you're selling to a restaurant for the most part, right. and if you're selling to a restaurant, the the chef is going to look at it and he's not going to be happy if it says it's one grade and it's not. Mm-hmm. So it's it's beneficial to the producer to be legitimate about what they're selling you. If it's a if it's a ten plus, and you get it and it's pretty, but it's not like almost all white, uh, yeah. they're gonna they're gonna reject it. They're gonna say something, you know. So they're all just. Um, striving to get the best quality, the best marbling they can get, and, you know, the chips fall where they may. I got you. Well, you heard that your father raises in Monroe, Louisiana. Mm -hmm. Did did you get into this business first, or did your dad already, was he already raising cows, or did he get in after you got interested in this? Well, it's... So my dad's a doctor, and doctors get into things they shouldn't. Right. <laughs> like restaurants. Yeah, they always do. They always do. I mean, there's just I don't know what it is about them, but they're 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 a group of very intelligent people. Yeah. And they're just too smart for their own good sometimes. So they, you know, being a doctor is piecemeal. Once you uh, stop being a doctor, you don't get paid anymore. You know, there's not like a retirement program for being a doctor. Um, so a lot of them get into other things as as they get on in their career, and my dad is no different. So when I went to culinary school, he started raising cattle. Um, he was going to reinvent, like, some cool new southern animal that you could raise in Louisiana in the heat, and it would still be, like, really phenomenal. And over the years, as I became more accustomed to Wagyu, uh, especially after Australia, um, I came back and was like, you need to quit all this and all these crosses and doing all this stuff and just do Wagyu because that one day is going to be the big thing and you will be ahead of the game. So now he's the biggest Wagyu producer in the South as far as I know. Um, uh, the people who own the Rosewood Hotels, um, they have a big uh, herd of Wagyu, but um, we're probably bigger than they are. I mean, we have about 1,800 on feed right now. Oh, I mean, oh wow. So a lot. And where all does he sell? Uh, we sell, we have a wholesale company in New Orleans that sells in Louisiana and up and down the coast uh, called JV Foods. Uh, we sell it through the shop, of course, and my restaurant, and then we sell most of it, I mean, the vast majority, to uh, other big Wagyu companies. Uh, a lot of Wagyu companies collect from other farms. Um, Mishima is our biggest buyer right now, and they're based in California and, um, and Oregon. Wow. And, but they buy uh, uh, just as many as we can produce. So, 
Well, butchering is becoming something of a lost art over the past 50 years. And, you know, to uh, have a storefront and be a butcher is, it's unique in this day and time. And where did you learn to butcher? Uh, It was a gradual process. I mean, when I was in culinary school, I did do whole animal butchery. Um, I had a fantastic uh, instructor, Chef Tanetis, who was just really into it. Um, And he's still a butcher up in Colorado. Um, But uh, that's where I started doing whole animals. Um, When I was in New Orleans, we get a lot of whole pigs and things like that in. But then when I went to other countries, um, you get... When you order something in Italy, especially southern Italy, it comes the whole animal. Like, if you order goat, it's a goat. You know, if you order tuna, it's a tuna. You know, I mean, there's no, like, little portion cryovac fillets or anything. Maybe in northern Italy, but in southern Italy, it's not. I mean, you practically have to go kill it yourself. I mean, the fish still have rigor mortis from being caught, and they have the hook in the mouth. I mean, it's, you know, of course, these are Michelin restaurants, so, I mean, they get the high-end stuff. But you had to learn how to do all that. In Australia, um, the chef, one of the chefs I worked for, he had a catering operation, a casual restaurant, a cafe, and a fine dining restaurant. I was working in the fine dining restaurant, but every couple weeks he would get about five cows in uh, Wagyu, and we would all, all the restaurants would send all the cooks at three in the morning, and we'd we'd meet up at the at the commissary where they did the catering, and we'd all break down the cows like in a few hours and dry the steaks and the hamburger went to the cafe and you know all that kind of thing we just separated it um to who uses what the roast would go to the casual dining restaurants and things like that but you got really good at it really fast because everybody was moving fast you know it's just the way it is in the restaurant the restaurant business and do you have other butchers that work with you and have you trained them or did they come trained um actually the the guy who's um who's basically in charge in the back right now for me, didn't have any training in it, um, and he learned everything on the job, uh, Benny. Uh, we've had other ones. Uh, had a guy, uh, Jake Rickman, who still works with me part-time, who works at Whole Foods, um, but he's been cutting meat since he was in high school, and he is you know, very proficient, but he'd never broken down whole animals before. None of them had. Um, I was pretty much their first opportunity to deal with whole animals. So that was a, a cool learning experience. People who are interested in being a butcher for real, uh, the opportunity to, to break down a whole animal is, is non-existent. You know, I mean, to, to you know, when you walk in my carcass cooler and there's sides of beef and there's whole pigs and lamb and goats and you know all that stuff. I mean, that's just you can really geek out on that if you're a butcher. <laughs> if you're a butcher. Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're not a butcher, you're just cold. But uh, if you're a butcher, if you like that kind of thing, you know, it's just, it's just too cool. You're listening to a special edition of Deep South Dining, a conversation with Chef David Rains. Malcolm and Carol will have more after the break. What are the top 10 ways to listen to MPB Think Radio? Number 10, the iHeartRadio app. Number 9, TuneIn Radio. Number 8, Amazon Alexa. Number 7, Google Home. Number 6, Deezer. What's a Deezer? Number 5, Spotify. Number 4, Stitcher. Number 3, YouTube. To listen to a radio station? Yeah, all the kids do that now. Number 2, Apple. And the number one way to listen to MPB Think Radio? The MPB Public Media app. Free in the iTunes and Google Play Store. What about just over the radio in the car? Yeah, you can do that too. You're listening to a special edition of Deep South Dining, a conversation with Chef David Raines, the Flora Butcher. So you've been around the world to get to Flora, but not without stopping in New Orleans. Let's talk a little bit about your time there working with uh, Emerald Lagasse and, yeah. and how you ended up coming to Jackson because of that connection after, I guess it was after Emerald um, and Revolution? After Emerald, with yeah. uh, With Fultz and Tremonto. Correct. I, um, my first job was with the Brennans. I worked for uh, Ralph Brennan at Ralph's on the Park. Um, and I had moved off to Italy and I would come back and I was working with Emerald Lagasse at NOLA and then I went to work at Koshan for a little while and then I ended up opening, I was on the 
the, the research team, I guess basically the test kitchen team um, for Restaurant Revolution. Um, I actually met Tremano at a Emerald Lagasse event, <laughs> but uh, he was helping me plate food and stuff like that. And I looked at him and I was like, that guy looks familiar. And I started looking at him again. I was like, I know who that guy is. I have like three of his cookbooks. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, oh my gosh, yeah, it's tell, Rick Tremonto uh, right there. Yeah, let's tell our listeners who Rick Tremonto is, where he's from, all that Rick, good stuff. He is um, super interesting. Never graduated high school, just started cooking. He started working at Wendy's when he was back when, you know, Dave would show up at the restaurant every day. You know, I mean, it was a long time ago. But, um, you know, he had a kind of a rough and tumble youth, and then he started cooking, and it just all kind of came together for him. Was so. that in Chicago, it, where was, he grew up? No, he's not from Chicago. He moved to Chicago uh, later and started opening restaurants with Lettuce, Lettuce Entertain You is the name of the company that uh, he worked for. Um but his real big claim to fame was, was True, and I have True cookbooks, and True is just an amazing restaurant, and he had his caviar staircases, and all, a lot of his signature stuff came from True. Um, so he was there for a long time, and he opened it. You know, it was all his food, um, but he had four or five other restaurants that, you know, opened. I mean, he was, he was just a workaholic kind of guy, still is. Um but I was just super impressed with all his food and his uh, amusés. And, you know, he had a, wrote a whole book, which is unheard of, on amusés. He had so many in his repertoire that he could do. So uh, it was just, I don't know, he was just a cool guy. <laughs> but Chicago is home for him now. His son lives in Chicago. And his wife was a, uh, they're divorced now, but they're still good friends. Uh, she's a really amazing pastry chef who has her own, you know, fame and b- her own books and all that stuff. So. That's cool. Well, being on the research team must have been really interesting because that menu is very complex. It was cool. Um, There's a guy named Jody Denton who was the original, supposed to be the first chef of Restaurant Revolution. Um, And I was just one of the sous chefs, but he was just very inventive. So I brought stuff to the table, of course, but he could do, he would just play with things until... He got it right, and he would do some super interesting stuff. So I learned a lot just from being around him in the test kitchen. He ended up not working at Restaurant Revolution when it opened, um, even though he kind of set everything up and did the menu and the recipes and all that stuff. He went to work for Frito-Lay because he's such a good cook. Because what they would do at Frito-Lay, evidently, is they'd bring in chefs, and they'd say, make the best version of whatever. Make the best chicken wings in the world. And they'd make everybody would make chicken wings, and they'd pick the one they liked the most, and they would just give it to the, you know, the the lab guys, and they would make a seasoning for the chips that would taste like the best version uh, of the. So that's where the wings. chili cheese burrito right. came yeah. from. Yeah, so that's what he does. So every time you taste one of those weird chips, you just think Jody Denton probably made this. And well, I want to know who was responsible for my favorite dish at Restaurant Revolution, and that was quail three ways. That was a Tremano thing, yeah. I mean, it was a little bit of a collaboration, but it was uh, Tremano was into the triptychs, uh, is what we call those things. Um, so, you know, one of them is a boudin stuff, so you got to give credit to Chef False for things like that. Um, it, it's uh, in the in the original restaurant, Chef False was more of a, a taster to make sure it was authentic. You know, he just knew what it was supposed to taste like and uh, what he liked and what he didn't like. And then Chef Tremano was more the the guy in the kitchen, you know, every day making food. So they were a good team in that respect because, uh, you know, Chef Fulce is just, he's just been around and he's just knows the cuisine of Louisiana like nobody else. So Tremano would get out of, you know, out of the ballpark a little bit here and there and they'd kind of pull it back <laughs> together because they didn't, you know, um, but it was a good combination. So uh, Chef Tremano, I guess I'd give him that one on the, yeah. on the and that, Those two guys met during Hurricane Katrina, I believe, they in did. the aftermath. Yeah, um, Chef um, Chef Fulce is obviously a big Louisiana guy, big supporter of Louisiana, and Chef Tremano is a big uh, soft-hearted guy. You know, he's mm-hmm. big into religion and he's he's works with charities all the time and when the they had already known each other, and when he said, you know, when the when the hurricane happened, he, he called Chef Olson and said, like, what can I do to help? And he's like, come cook, you know. So they they came down, and uh, Jeff Germano just cooked for people, you know, just, just you know, bulk meals to feed all the 
you know, workers and evacuees and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, chefs with big hearts. There are plenty of those around, and I don't know. <laughs> well, they sure Chef Dave's like, mm, yeah, they really? Sure, yeah. Well, they sure came out and fed people after yeah. Katrina. Yeah, they did. Um, uh, yeah, and it was—I mean, it was a huge outpouring, and they did the things that you need to do. I mean, just throwing money at it never works. No, you have to come physically do it. So that yeah. was a big thing. And so, uh, Tremonto and Foltz are really responsible for your—you uh, coming to Jackson. They are. Um, I was working at Restaurant Revolution, and I was living in the French Quarter. And then I have a wife I um, I met when I was working in Denmark, and uh, she's you know, Danish. <laughs> Uh, she had lived was living in New Orleans with me, and uh, we had a baby, and it just doesn't. It just got not fun to be in the French Quarter anymore, just with a little kid. Even while she was pregnant, it wasn't fun. But it was a three-story walk-up. I mean, it was, you know, lugging, you know, everything. We didn't have a car because we didn't need one. We walked everywhere. Uh, and we decided we were going to move, and they asked me if I would uh, be willing to come open Seafood Revolution for them. Uh, in Jackson, and they said, you know, it's a nice town, you should check it out. I'd never really been in much in Mississippi other than going hunting when I was a kid uh, in Terra. Um, so we came and looked at it, and the school system's great, and, you know, there's all these nice things, and uh, we ended up trying to stay in Madison just because of the schools more than anything else. Um, but my wife had never lived in the country. Uh, that's the country to her. Uh, I mean, she's a city girl. You know? I've always said Jackson's a country, a big yeah, country. Town. I mean, they think it's uh, to her it's country just because Copenhagen is just you know. Right. I mean, it's just it's just concrete and bricks, and I mean, it's just a, a city. Um, but she had never, you know, it's 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 super expensive in Europe to have a, like a house with a big yard and all that stuff. So mm-hmm. so this is a place where we could have that. And she just loves it. Uh, she does not want to leave. I mean, she likes it here. And now we have two kids. And, um, you know, we love the schools. And, I mean, it's, it's home now. So I don't think we'll ever go anywhere. So if I understand this correctly, your wife and sons are vegetarian. So my question is, who cooks at the house? Uh, You're a butcher. They're vegetarians. Yeah. No, I got two vegetarian kids and a vegetarian wife. And it is, it is uh, challenging. But I've gotten over the years to to cook vegetarian uh, dishes that are really tasty, um, just for my wife, just to cook for her. And then the kids, they're at that age where it's cheese pizza and macaroni and cheese anyway. Right. Doesn't yeah. matter what so you cook. Uh, and you know, I'm working on them. I'm, I'm, I'm sneaking <laughs> food in there during Thanksgiving. I gave them some turkey, and my son didn't eat it, but my my daughter did, and she thought it was very good. And, so, they don't know any better. They're just <laughs> five and seven. So from um, Seafood Revolution, you came here when to do Seafood Revolution? Gosh, it's been a while now. Um, five or six years ago, I came here to do seafood. I was here way before uh, before they even before started they opened, building because right. um, I had to do all the test kitchen stuff here. And um, were you the chef de cuisine uh, at Seafood? At Seafood, yes. And, and then after that, get us to Flora. So how did you get from Seafood Revolution uh, at Renaissance, out to Flora. So I left seafood, and I was going to do something on my own. My wife didn't want to leave. Um, I'm in a weird way. I'm too expensive to be in this market, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I couldn't really go get a job. So I had to do something on my own. Um, so I, you know, my dad raises cattle, and I thought I'd want to do something that sort of incorporated that. My original thoughts were to be. Um, like in Jackson, Jackson, like in Fondren or something like that, and mm-hmm. do a, a sort of like a butcher shop themed restaurant, which you see a lot more of, like Kushan um, and people sure, see more yeah. and more of that. In the that's South. that's really all the people that say they're butcher shops these days are not really butcher shops; they're just right. restaurants, which with a butcher shop theme. And that was where I was going, um, and I had a couple different places I was trying to put it in, and it just never could work out. And my friend, who's a contractor. Uh, Brent Cryer owns Cryer Development. He built he built Seafood Revolution, um, and he was he lives in Flora. And he was like, "Why don't you look at Flora?" And I thought, "Well, that sounds kind of depressing because you know it's this tiny little town with nothing in it." And he just <laughs> said, "Well, let's just go look." And it didn't take us long, and we found the building that I'm in now. Um, he um, contacted the guy who owned it, and the the guy who owned it was super enthusiastic about you know having that having a butcher shop in it. 
So because we need so much room, it's 4,600 square feet, but it's only like $3 a square foot, which mm. is crazy cheap. Sure. Yeah, so that was a big determining factor. And since we were doing a lot of wholesale back then, we just needed room. Uh, we don't do the wholesale as much anymore, but we still have, you know, dry aging rooms. And, you know, we do deer processing this time of year. And, I mean, the deer just come pouring in like 20 a, 20 a day, you know. So, I mean, you need a lot of room to keep everything separate. So it's really worked out well. And because we were on that main street, even though our idea was to do wholesale, we thought, well, we'll put a little butcher shop in the front, you know, and that'll be fun, right? And now the, the butcher shop is like the most famous thing about yeah. it. You know, the and rest of it. People drive from all over, from Texas and Louisiana oh, yeah. and Tennessee, uh, to come to the Flora Butcher. I know. It's stunning. You are a destination. It's, yeah, it's surprising. You can be mayor of Flora. Uh, no, nah, it's all right. I'm good. <laughs> I don't live in Florida anyway, so I don't think they'd let me. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, the chef that saved the town. I guess. <laughs> so when did you open the, the butcher? The Flora butcher has been there a little over three years now, mm-hmm. and uh, and you didn't have enough to do, so yeah. you opened Dave's Triple B. Yeah, pretty much. So I was sleeping maybe seven hours a. Day and I was like, now you're you know, down to this three. Is too much, too much sleep. <laughs> it's killing me. Yeah. I wasn't driving an hour a day, you know. So just come on. So is this one of Tremonto's triptychs? Uh, Dave's Triple B Butcher, the Baker, and the Barbecue Maker? Well, not really. It's just we we wanted something kind of catchy, and uh, but I wanted to incorporate the fact that um, for one, it's mine. So put my name in there somewhere. Um, it seemed a little too much to call it David Rains anything, so I, I just put Dave's on there, and then I wanted to remind people that it's the food's all coming from my butcher shop. You know, I mean, it's this is as farm to table as you can get. I mean, it, the cow, the cows, the pigs, everything comes into my mm-hmm. butcher shop, and we process it and break it down, do whatever, and then we I drive it over there every day. Um, so it's it's. And this really is on unique. High Street in Jackson. Yeah. It's the old Chimneyville Smokehouse. That's right. And if you, for our listeners, if you haven't tried Dave's Triple B, you need to get down there. Okay, I'm going to give you some, right the some of the track. menu items here. Wagyu burger. Yeah. Bacon burger. Yeah, that's a good one. How about those plate lunches? How about those plate lunches? How about um, chicken fried steak? Yeah, it's oh, big so as a hubcap. If you yeah. haven't had one, it'll cover the, your plate and the person you're eating with. And so plate. It's, it's actually Wagyu chicken fried mm-hmm. steak with yeah. that. It has white gravy. It has a white gravy, and since we make our own andouille, um, we grind up some andouille and we put it in the gravy, and it kind of turns it pink, but it gives it a special little kick, mm-hmm. and it's just really tasty. And then we fry the chicken fried steak in Wagyu tallow. Oh my gosh! Ah. Uh, and all our French fries as well, uh, fried in Wagyu tallow. It's the only two things we fry: is the chicken fried steak and the French fries. And uh, wacky beef lasagna. Yep. Oh, yeah. Hadn't so had good. the lasagna, but I've had the brisket. Uh, it's like two pounds of lasagna. <laughs> I mean, it'll, it'll put you to sleep. Bring a go so box. Good. Oh, so good. <laughs> so what are your favorite dishes on that menu? The chicken fried steak is pretty phenomenal. Uh, the brisket, uh, I, you know, having good barbecue is tricky. Uh, brisket is the trickiest. I don't think I've gone anywhere in recent history or recent memory. That the brisket wasn't dry or, mm-hmm. you know, just wasn't very good. But the brisket, uh, Wagyu brisket, is just, I mean, so good. So do, good. It's do you do a Texas style with your brisket or just some style you've sort it's, of created of your own? It's a mix, but it's a lot more like Texas style. That's what I yeah. thought. That, when I had and it, the Texas style actually came from the Germans. Yeah, you know, the Germans who populated that part of, you know, of, of Texas. Okay. So you're kind of... You know, coming around from the German angle too. I guess maybe Manheim, I'm, yeah, Manheim, I'm Germany. Austrian by descent, so maybe that's my little combi- I know. My combination. Okay, tell us about steak tips and gravy over rice and braised greens. Uh, so, if you own a butcher shop, you create steak tips when you're trimming steaks and all that kind of stuff. So you get wagyu steak tips, which you think you'd be able to sell for a fortune, but you know, you just it's just a byproduct. You right. Um, so we started braising steak tips. Um, and serving them at lunch at the butcher shop, and it was so popular that we um, it, we just got to be known for it to some degree. And then we do special events, and we do catering. Some people ask for them and stuff. Um, I think I told you the other day, we we uh, Senator Wicker was hosting a lunch at uh, for the U.S. Senate, 
and he asked us if we would make our Wagyu steak tips <laughs> and gravy and ship it to Washington, D.C., so we did. So we made steak tips and uh, sent some Mississippi rice um, from Kubrick Farms, and we made our braised collard greens, which are super popular as well, um, and we shipped it all up there, and uh, I got a bunch of rave reviews, <laughs> and everybody wanted the recipe for everything, and it was uh, it was cool. It was, you know, it was fun to do stuff like that, you know. Well, I'm glad that you're representing Mississippi in the Senate. And I know that being well-fed, um, you know, maybe made them well-fed legislators the create good policy, good, Carol. Good law and good policy. <laughs> so, uh, with all of this deer processing you're doing, and you were talking about making your own andouille sausages, have you fell into a bunch of really cool new sausages made with uh, venison and mixtures of other things? Yeah, I mean, the, probably the coolest thing about it, uh, not to cut. Uh, get, you know, cut it, cut us out of the deal as far as our skill set. Um, the grinding wagyu fat into the deer is just a game changer like no other. I mean, it tastes so good. Uh huh. You can eat it like a burger finally, which I've I've never been able to eat venison like that. It just always got turned into chili or, or you know hamburger helper or something <laughs> like that. You know, but uh, it's just so juicy. Uh, and the 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 difference in the wagyu fat. Um, makes such a big difference. Uh, just the makeup of that fat compared to any other kind of fat, any other beef fat or anything like that. Carol's big on pumpkin spice. Have you thought about a pumpkin <laughs> spice sausage? We probably could. It wouldn't be too hard. To do that. Mal- Malcolm is lying. Well, I was big on it because I was just fascinated at how people have ruined. There's even pumpkin spice spam. That's right. Now, is there? I just wanted them to take it all back, and it just ruined yeah. pumpkin pie. There's pumpkin. There. This time of year. Yeah. It's yeah. Don't 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 do it. Please. No, we do. We Please do other do cool things. Uh, our blueberry maple breakfast sausage is a pork sausage, but it's so delicious. It's just screaming for a pancake. And I mean, we do all kinds of. We do a bunch of different sausages uh, all the time. We have uh, some cook things like boudin and andouille and stuff like that. But um, our make, fresh sausages. You make a tasso. We do tasso. Yeah. yeah. Now, are your products? I know they're available at the floor butcher. Are they in grocery stores and other outlets, or does one have to come to your shop? Pretty to... much have to come to my shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about putting another place. Um, uh, again, I, I, I'm almost getting some sleep, so <laughs> if, I thought maybe... If you maybe get more I than four hours, out. you're going to open up another business, David. <laughs> so uh, we, we, if we do another, another location, uh, we intend on putting sort of like a floral butcher annex in it or something like that where you can come in and it wouldn't be like the full-fledged butcher shop where somebody goes in the back and takes the belly off a pig for you. It would be... You know, this is, these are the cuts. They're all kind of packaged up, but it would be from the butcher shop. And When the deer hunters bring uh, their meat in, how do you ask them to, to bring it? Do you process um, whole deer or do you? We don't want any fur or skin or, you know, any of that stuff. Uh, we charge people to debone it as well if they don't debone it themselves. But, uh, you know, it's just too clean. It's just a, it's just a, it's not our our main business is to, you know, to be a deer processor. So we, we requ- request that people bring it in pretty clean. I mean, mm-hmm. And we keep everybody's order separate from everybody else's. And That's good. It's probably as unique as that butcher shop is is to keep it separate because every other place I've ever even heard of, they just put it all together. It's, yeah, and they just exactly. just give you a certain amount of weight back. But we oh. do each one, each one separately, which is... Which is unique, but then the wagyu is uh, wagyu fat. We don't use pork fat in it, so all your sausage comes back with wagyu fat in it as well. And it's just uh, the best deer sausage I've ever had. And I, I spent a lot of years hunting before I ever got into culinary. Once I started in culinary, I never went hunting again because I wanted to. Right. You're listening to a special edition of Deep South Dining, a conversation with Chef David Rains. Malcolm and Carol will have more after the break. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. On the original Southern Remedy, we answer questions about all aspects of your health and share some of the latest medical information in the news. You can listen to the show on Wednesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app.
You're listening to a special edition of Deep South Dining, a conversation with Chef David Raines, the floral butcher. You've been a great proponent of buying locally, and you use a lot of food producers from Mississippi. So tell us, like, where do you get your goats? Where do you get your pigs? Goats are usually coming out of Coma, Mississippi, from Home Place Pastures. Everybody's um, crying goat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uther Turner. That's right, the fife and drummer. Yeah. He, he used to, it's an old-time African-American musical style in the Como area, in oh, okay. Mississippi Delta Hills. Okay. It's called drum and fife or fife and drum. And he, he has this thing is that everybody's hollering goat. It, it's just a That kind was of a the local. name of his CD that yeah. won the Grammy. Right. Yeah. Okay. But he boils big, well, he is... He makes sadly it. passed on, but right. he he yeah boy, has big goat boils, and people come from all over the world. You'll see people from Japan, from yeah. Scandinavia you know, come to the his granddaughter uh, has carried on his tradition. She has a big picnic every year up at the home place, and then they cook goat, and it's just kind probably of a, your goat. So anyway. your goat comes from Como. Comes what about chickens? Uh, those are outside of Hattiesburg. Um, Mississippi doesn't let me buy direct from like a. You know, someone growing, like, having chickens in their backyard. Hmm. There's only, like, a few states that don't let you do that, and Mississippi is one of them, unfortunately. The um, chicken industry. chicken well, industry is, is, is a Tyson. Powerful. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, you know, the big guys are mm-hmm. in the states that you don't, you can't just buy any chicken in the states any where, old chicken where, the ty- where the Tysons or the, you know, the big right. companies um it's not that they're evil or anything. They're just, it's just, they yeah, just, just dominate business. the market. Yeah. Business. Just and business. what about rabbit? Rabbit? Uh, we get our rabbit out of Amy, Louisiana. Um, oh, yeah, I know. And it's, it is super good. My yeah, wife I saw, th- even I saw that. You're, oh. I know. Vegetarian wife. And she was like, that smells delicious. And I, I got like, it. Well, I'm going to be cooking some of your rabbit. I'm doing a braised rabbit this weekend from your store. So oh, I'm excited yeah, about really, cooking that. It's really tasty rabbit. What about your other favorite, Carol? Quail. John's favorite. Yeah, quail. We don't have any quail. quail. Um, we've had a number of people say they were going to start raising quail around um, uh, around Yazoo, I think mostly, um, between Flora and Yazoo. I think their big hang-up is, uh, like the chicken industry, they don't have a USDA or a state-inspected facility that mm-hmm. can process them, and it's really time-consuming to process quail and things like that. Yeah, there was a large quail processor in Florida. Yeah, I know. That's for why many I, years. I thought maybe yeah. you, that y'all had connected. Uh, and it must have gone away. Yeah, uh, it did. Oh, well. it, it, yeah, but it, it's, it's hard. Um, in the Revolution days, we got it all out of Texas. Um, hmm. uh, Broken Arrow Ranch, that's really great quail. Dave, tell us about the food you brought this morning because it's mighty yummy. Um, so I brought y'all some pulled pork sandwiches. Um, we get our pigs from a guy in Weston, as I said. Um, we use fire and ice pickles out of Natchez, Mississippi. Uh, we make a barbecue sauce that uses Uncle John's molasses out of Philadelphia, Mississippi. Um, we make our own bread. That's part of the Triple B, you know, the the baker. Right. Uh, so we the make butcher, all the our baker, own and the barbecue maker. Right. <laughs> so uh, we serve it on a focaccia that we make, which is mm-hmm. a simple uh, Italian white bread. Uh, I guess you could equate it to uh, the white bread that we have in the United States, the mm-hmm. Pullman loaves. We make Pullman loaves as well for Texas toast. Uh, you know, we didn't talk about about your bread career. That uh, you actually went to school to study bread baking too, I Did. believe. I went to the French Culinary Institute in New York to study bread making, and it was just a phenomenal course. Uh, and I did that mostly because when I was working in Italy, everybody knew how to make their own bread. Every restaurant made their own bread. Nobody bought bread. So. And again, we're talking about really high-end, you know, restaurants. And so I, was, I just didn't feel like I was as good as all those people. And even though I felt good about my cooking skills, I, I felt like I needed to, to really step it up when it came to bread making. And I like bread. And um, so we, I went to the that course, and it taught you how to make breads from all over the world. And it was just a, a incredible course, really intense, but it was a great course. And what about the beef you brought this morning? I brought y'all some smoked tri-tip. Uh, we use that in the restaurant, and we sell it in um, kind of a boil-in-a-bag style at the butcher shop. So we've already seasoned it and smoked it, and it's just sort of rare. Uh, so you can take it home, and you can just drop it in hot water and heat it up and cook it to medium rare or however cooked you like it, and then you just slice it against the grain, and it's phenomenal. The, yes, it is. 
It's but a nice breakfast on a Monday morning. It is. It's a good any time. Uh, I can't stop eating it when I start messing with it. I can't give it away as samples because I eat it all before I get it, give it away. Um, and I would say this, that on behalf of the Mississippi Public Broadcasting staff, they're awfully happy when you come as our guest. Yeah. You create quite a stir, my friend. Yeah. They're um, buzzing in the hallway now, yeah, grazing, yeah, grazing on the pork sandwiches swarming around. and the uh, tri-tip. Is that right? Yeah, try to. Yep. Part and of I was asking you earlier, sort of like, for the novice sort of beef consumer, where the tri-tip comes from. I, I was asking you if it was related to the sirloin family, and if maybe at some point it was related to what we think of as a uh, a T-bone. And you were giving me a little course on that. Sure. So the sirloin is top sirloin and bottom sirloin. The top sirloin is that sirloin steak you see in every grocery store. Uh, the bottom sirloin is made up of the sirloin flap and the tri-tip. Uh, the sirloin flap sort of hangs off um, where you would see a, a T-bone or a porterhouse come from, and the mm-hmm. tri-tip is, uh, sort of runs from there down the leg a little bit and uh, has a, a triangular shape, which is why they call it a tri-tip. Um, but it's part of the bottom sirloin. It's the muscle that makes your leg go out to the side, basically. Um, it's hugely popular in California, and it's not uh, it's not been that well known in the rest of the country. But it's starting to catch on, and since nobody has stuff like that in a lot of the country, because they just don't order it, but we get the whole cow, so we we have every part. So we try to you know educate people on all the different cool things that are on the cow. That that's one of the nice things about the butcher shop is we have so much, uh, so many options, and so many things for people to try. Well, David, you're your story reads like a, a master plan, and I don't know how well executed all of these uh, journeys and moves and, and, and jobs and, and schooling that you've taken was thought out. But we're so delighted to have you in Mississippi. For whatever reason, you know, you've ended up here and you, you're quite an asset to our cultural landscape. And we deeply appreciate what you do and what you bring uh, to Flora and to Jackson and to Mississippi, okay. uh, it, you know your your adventure or misadventure has certainly been to our credit, and we're delighted that you're here, oh, and we you. thank you for coming and speaking with Carol and I. Thanks, David. This yeah, is this has been really uh, super educational. Yeah, terrific. Thanks, and good luck, and we we'll look thank forward you. to the, the next phase if if you have a next yeah, thing you want to tell right. us about. <laughs> This has been a special edition of Deep South Dining, a conversation with Chef David Raines. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded by generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show today was produced by Java Chapman for our host, Carol Puckett, Malcolm White, and our guest, Chef David Raines. Stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey and Southern Remedy at 11. And join us next Monday at 9 for Deep South Dining, only on MPB Think Radio.